Okay, well, we have had, this is going to be a fascinating show because I think I just, we just had a discussion for about an hour uh, about yeah. something that is not going to be the cold open, but we'll find its way somehow into this body of the show. Uh, and uh, it's been a funny old week in the sense that we finally had pro wrestling back. I know that we had a, a couple of shows, we had the, the one main show, we had uh, Typhoon at some point during their breaking things up. Um, we had uh, the House of Torture winning that dog cage thing, death match, whatever, and winning the tri- the the title. So it's still time, Dave. There's still there's, there's plenty of story to be told about that their dog cage. Uh, ah, so that happened. It happened, and the yeah. evil triumphed. Um, so uh, by so, beating Yo. So who ended up in the dog cage? Uh, every uh, it was everyone bar Evil and Yo, who then Evil pinned Yo. Yo actually showed some personality and fire and fought yeah. against the odds, but was wasn't enough for Evil, who who eventually got him uh, in the end. And the story continues now. They're the six man champs, and we'll see who eventually will will get them. Um, it's it's start of the story, not the end. Yeah. Um. So that that occurred on the on the weekend, and then obviously we had the big and uh, burning uh, spirit uh, finale. Uh, which did you know sold out the stadium, uh, sold out the venue. It was meant to be no, no cheering, wasn't it? Because they yeah. did give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, there was meant to be no cheering, but they decided the main event. Well, fuck that. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't help themselves. Obviously, the the we had the the Golden Brothers basically moment where the two fellas, where Hikaleo and uh, Tamatonga uh, hugged, <laughs> and we got the full on cheers. It was it was lovely. Yeah, and then um, turn on Jay. Yeah, so we're we're starting to see some things happening, Dave. Somehow we have started. This was supposed to be a, like a this is a conversation that sort of led into a thing. There's no formal start to this show, uh, but we might as well start the show now. Uh, Would you like an intro? Oh yes, Dave. You got me. <laughs> well, I feel like I did a disservice to Red last week. I, he, he commented on our intros, and I'm like, well, maybe I should at least come up with something. So I don't know how good it's gonna be, but but uh, we'll see how we'll see how we go. You can always edit it and I can do it again <laughs> if, uh, if if I fuck it up. Oh, uh, here we go. But see, this is a trouble. We got to try to live up to these lofty standards. There's no oh, chance. look, oh, there's no there's no living up. There's no living up. It's just a reference to uh to to the three of us. So. Okay. You know, but um. I mean, Red loves his intro. So, too. Other uh, last thing I want to do is is. <laughs> Disrespect the man. Disrespect the man. <laughs> but having said that, just when you thought we were done, yeah, it's time for fun. <laughs> uh, if you're having a happy lunch with your lads, maybe you got a meat raffle down at the <laughs> local club. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> this week, we are not a tripod. We are a man with two legs. This is the Scott Norton version of this podcast. <laughs> That's a tremendous <laughs> reference. Uh, uh, I am the Token Wall Pimp, Dave Pruden, and with me, <laughs> as always, the man behind the curtain, our version of The Wizard of Oz. That's the only Kevin Nash reference, I promise. <laughs> uh, Josh Brighton. Oh, thank you. Thanks, thanks, uh, Dave. King, King of Dork style. Thank you, thank you, the King of Dorks. <laughs> 
Oh, that was great. That was that was lovely. The Scott Norton reference is just for Red. Red is going to be popping when he hears that one. Um, <laughs> people can figure out the, hopefully they'll figure that out. Just look at Scott Norton. Yeah. Uh, look at the man. Try to figure out why he's not a, when when we think of tripods, we don't think of Scott Norton. I'm a Japanese. I'm a Japanese. I'm a Japanese. I'm a Japanese. I can love Japan. I can love Japan. I can love Japan. What people are saying, um, in relation to the the Will Os- this is the Will Ospreay stuff, I always I find it really interesting. I've got not the character so much; it's just the reaction to the the match and the 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 type of presentation and the way that he's being posi- positioned now and the way he's talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, it's really interesting how the discourse has really shifted on him, um, and it has. It's becoming more and more, you know, positive. Like, um. And where he gonna, he's going to end up, obviously, that, that title scene and what's going on there. I mean, this is what we talked about, isn't it? He paints a broad brush, and if people watch, eventually they're going to be sold on him, mm. the wrestler. Yeah, and I think to some extent there's been a long time where people have, like, have sort of characterised him as a certain type of wrestler, like a spot, you know, guy or like a you know like a, he doesn't sell or he doesn't tell stories or whatever <laughs> you know like yeah i know yeah. i mean that's the, but that's what they would have seen a few years back mm. um yeah and i would i would uh in a lot of ways probably concur with uh i agree statement for sure i i feel like since he went heavy and particularly since he's gone uh, I was going to say Royal Quest. Since he's gone, uh, United Empire, United Empire, and even he, even heel. There's been a shift in his work in that regard, as far as sort of selling and storytelling. And well, I I would sort of suggest, Dave, in a lot of respects, that he hasn't necessarily gone heel as much as he has stopped trying to be liked. Mm. And there's a bit of a distinction where I don't think United Empire are explicitly a heel unit. I think they are a unit that doesn't care what you think. And they're trying to tell you how great, like Great Khan's always, you know, expounding upon how awesome the thing is, you know, bow down to the empire, you know, how great are we? Um, they're peasants, they're beneath us, you know, like that kind of thinking, like we are the United Empire, we run this shit, we're going to break the rules and change the game. Um, And so that's liberating for a person like him. And I think his confidence has grown by not being too concerned about it. And I think that only further infuriates those that don't uh, like him because ultimately he's not engaging with them at the level he was before where he's trying to pander to try to get them to come over to his side. I think he's just leaned in like the whole bruv stuff has come out because, you know, people made fun of him saying bruv a lot on AEW. So he just leaned into it. It's just mm-hmm. bruv everything now. And it's like, I have transformed from being conscious and trying to respond to what you do to be more, uh, respond and, and try to be what you want me to be to be more like what is it the thing that you're trying to take and and rip into me i'm going to lean heavily into that now as a 
point of power to be able to get away from that shit, you know? Yeah. Sharks are sick, bruv. I know, right? Like sharks are sick. It's like, (laughs) it's like, um, it's like, obviously that's the position that he's, he's sort of, he's sort of free and that. Look, it's far more interesting. I mean, in the very least, it's interesting because whatever chaos Will Ospreay was supposed to be, aside from what he did in the ring, was, in my opinion, pretty dull. I think so, yeah. I think he I think he, he got by on his, you know, tremendous athleticism and high spots and stuff at an, at an era when he didn't have to be any more than that because he was in the junior division yeah. and that was the expectation was just go out there and put on some high-flying spectacular matches. Yeah, and I mean, those wrestlers to me are always like their hard sell for me because I don't care until you're in the ring. And then as soon as what you've done in the ring is over, I don't care again. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, um, and it's even, hard to regardless of how insane it is. And, you know, but it was always like, oh, yeah, we lost break. It was like, it's just not, it's not enough for a fan like me and maybe that's a pretentious point of view but that's just being honest uh yeah. I, I need I, I need more than a car chase i need a reason for it you know yeah and i think to some extent people have been saying oh well you know obviously you know and people make this argument like oh the biggest stars are always going to be the ones that have got the most defined characters and got clarity and like the people are saying well it's not a work where work rate won't beat that and I've always sort of argued that I think if you've only got charisma and mic skills or whatever, and and you can't work in the ring, you're just as you're just as limited as someone who has got all the work rate and then doesn't have the the biggest stars to combine the two. It's always yeah, that's just been sure. that's been the case for for as long as we have sort of transformed pro wrestling in the in the '90s. I think once the mm. world of pro wrestling opened, because that's the really important thing. I think people always have sort of ignore that especially when they think of like the hogan era or whatever it's like okay well it was just all charisma but if you were in america and in that space or whatever you're in australia or whatever we didn't get access to anything outside of the like these two big companies in my when i was a kid yeah so like your perception of what was good was framed by the frame of reference you had you didn't have any idea that there were matches that could be better than the matches that were happening now to be fair wcw did a lot to change that thinking because of the cruiserweight division and as those yeah. cruiserweights came on you're like holy shit like these guys are really fun wrestlers and they do well, stuff now why can't I mean, the stars do that 100 percent. because if you i watched a while ago i watched a match between i watched hogan and muda in new japan in like 93 think either just, maybe just after wrestlemania or something the one where he's talking about the belt it's like this is a trinket i want the one that muta has like hogan does not wrestle like wwf hogan even though he looks exactly like him mm. he's like doing like like almost like leg locks and he does he doesn't do the big boot as his finisher he's doing an axe bomber the axe bomber uh you know like he's he's he wrestles new japan a new japan style like he did back when he was wearing the black trunks and wrestling anoki you know so it's kind of because he didn't have to in the other space that's the point it's not even that he didn't have to it's not what they wanted 
That's true. They were they were like, this is this is what we do. This is the superhero that we have, and it's and at the top, your kick punch, kick punch, and one big move, and mm. we hulk up and we pose and we go home. Yeah, that's the formula here at this place. Yeah, regardless of whether you can do more or not. Yeah. So yeah, and, you're right in that, like you know, that was that place, and and the cruiserweights in WCW opening the show and uh, you know really exposing the Western audience to what wrestling could be. Well, that's what I I always think I was broken to some extent, Dave, because I I the first the first pro wrestling event thing I ever saw was Super Brawl two was not Super Brawl nineteen ninety two, and I had it on. VHS, a, a high. I rented it out because it had Sting and Luger on the front, and I thought Sting looked awesome. Um, I think I was about five or six, and the first match on that card is Pillman Liger, mm-hmm. and it's the first pro wrestling match I ever saw, and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I was like, "Is it all like this?" Uh, no, it's not. The answer was no, um, but it was like from that moment, I was like, "Well, this is what it." can be this is what it can be in the ring or whatever this is like what high level pro wrestling looks like i think um if only but then i'm like oh i really like this character this sting character is really cool i like this guy i wonder if he could have a match like what liger just did you know like i wonder if they could do it similar to that like the high he, i mean he can he could he can. at the he time yeah, yes, yeah he could but um and that was the thing like that was the type of guys that that you gravitate towards because you're watching a guy like Sting, you're like, he's got all the athleticism, you yeah. all this stuff. I mean, and- WCW there at that time, their main event scene, it was, it was, it was a predominantly, they still had wrestling matches like Flair was at the top, you know, yeah. so they were, and, you know, that yeah, was, Vader. More for the, that was more like, for the continental sort of space. And yeah, exactly. Too. Exactly. And that's, and I always gravitated towards those guys because ultimately, yeah, but I wish that they got more opportunity. That was always the thing. Like I wish that person got more opportunity. Now we're living in the age where though that's, that's the expectation to be a top guy that you have to both be able to have the charisma and engage people and do that and have the in ring. Mm. Now, if you, it's like a, it's like an interesting balancing thing where like there's a certain level you have to reach and then how exceptional you are in the other area can elevate you beyond other people. So, like, if you get to the base level of character and engagement and then your in-ring is exponentially better than everyone else, you can elevate yourself above people that might be higher in the other space. But if you never get to that, like, base level of being able to be at least engaging, it just, you're not got, you haven't got a chance. And for so long, Osprey was below the base level required to be engaging beyond the exceptional in-ring sort of flippy doodahs. Yeah. Um, and now I think he's he's achieved he's at base camp now and he's like he's figured out okay this is where I need to be and you have he has to be looking at the challenge being laid out by someone like Jay White mm-hmm. who is at a very high level he's a, he's he's climbing the mountain when it comes to the charisma character all that stuff and what's fascinating about Jay uh, compared to Will is Jay has to wrestle a certain way to fit the character construction he's made yeah and 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 jay pulls out his elite when the event calls for it and he's and the thing is he's only That's used cool. he's only used like 40 percent of what he can do yeah and people that saw him in ring of honor and saw young like they know that he can do a lot of things 
Yeah, and then and then every now and again, like against the Bushi at Wrestle Kingdom, then you sort of you really see yeah, it. like oh, and then everyone goes, "Holy shit! Why can't he do that all the time?" Like, because five times a week, because it's yeah, that because it wouldn't mean as much if he did it every week. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I think that what I've seen with the Osprey stuff has just been like you're always going to have the people that are upset about his past, and that's okay. I you know it is what it is. You know you, you're all entitled to that opinion. I, I I've always said like I struggle with Osprey to be like. That's my guy. I don't think he'll ever be. That's my guy. But I really appreciate where he's getting himself to because I like the character trait. Like this match with Finley, I like the positioning of Osprey and the way they're talking about him as like he wants to like he's this he has this belief that he can bring New Japan out of the dark ages by breaking the rules and and changing the game. And I like I like that direction for him. I think that as like an ambassador for new Japan's next generation mm. in his own mind, I think is a really great way to go about it because it positions that as like, when I was watching that main event, I was like so much of what people have talked about for so long about new Japan as it being well, you know, stale or lost, lost in spite. What we're seeing now is the product of planting seeds, you know, eight years ago, of like <laughs> their commitment to, this direction like this I, when i was watching finley and finley's a, like it's it's a real thing like finley's a, he's a made guy and like he's he's made himself a commodity now and and when i was watching i'm like oh now finley's getting there i'm like holy shit well if finley's getting there jay's there osprey's there you know juices is, is there this generation that they've crafted this sort of like the 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 outsider international generation Mm. is ready Mm -hmm. and it's like they've they've finally like i could i couldn't imagine living in a world where i'm like saying david finley just had like a match of the year contender and it's not his and it's not his first it's like insane huh it's Mm. insane off the back of where he's been for a couple of years and it's clear that like he's got a story like his story is this u.s title eludes me and like that's his story. It's like I've gone for it three times now. And I keep losing, but I will get. I will get it. And it's like that's that's something for that 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 can be his thing. Like he can chase that. Um, and obviously Juice is tied to it. You know, I like the idea too because of this we've he's had this kind of building of intensity within his character, and mm. then by not quite getting there, not quite getting there, that that intensity is only going to build and build and build. I think that is a really interesting character trait that's unfolding in him because he was, you know, at the G1, it was at another level. But at this match, like, you know, when he he's getting all kinds of issues mm. uh, to a point where it's like, are we looking at, like, I was like, are we looking at a Bullet Club thing here? Like, what's happening? It's very, very nasty. And it might be something entirely... His own. Entirely his own. And... um. And he's like, there's, I don't, I don't, I don't take it as accident that the way they framed the, the entrances and the story and the positioning and the camera was the rebel David Finley on his own, Will Ospreay with the United Empire by his side. Mm. And that shot of like Finley standing in the ring, uh, unfazed, just come at me, bro, as there's like seven guys walking down. <laughs> And he's just staring him down, talking shit. Like, it's like, this is a, 
like this is a significant change of of Finley, and they and they make they keep drawing mention to it about Finley as a as a you know as a young lion and him being um you know Liger talking about your dad scared me you make me laugh mm. like and how Finley sort of took that as a badge of honor in some respects that he wasn't like his dad he's going to be something different and now realizing that he's he's morphing more and more into the vicious you know Finley fighting Finley kind of uh persona i'm like yeah that's that will work for him because it will position him as something I, that we don't really have a lot of it like he's not like he could so easily go heel it wouldn't be hard yeah um and but he can so easily play face he just he could, he's just the outsider and where that leads him i don't know i don't know i don't but i think the u.s title is at this point is obviously being elevated like i think it's a pretty safe assumption when you've got naito and zach vying for the right to to, to go there i think it's pretty clear that the the US title agenda is moving towards the IC position, like and firmly positioning it there and establishing it as that secondary belt. Mm-hmm. Um and even Osprey saying, Don't worry about the flag on the front of it. It's about what I do to put in behind it. Um I think that's kind of cool. I kind of like that idea. And I've always thought the US belt was a great was a great example of like it's going to be the belt for the Western audience, you know, it's going to be the belt for the stories that people in the West will engage with. So Osprey's a perfect guy to hold it. He's a perfect person. And, and Juice is a perfect person. And, and Finley's a, is in that category. Um, Naito would be strange. <laughs> I could be, I don't yeah. know what that would be. Naito like. buying for it. That just elevates it. Like it elevates yeah. it at a level that no one else can do. Like no one else can give it credibility other than Okada. And Okada wouldn't because Okada doesn't give a shit about any belt bar the big one. So yeah. Um, I like I like that, and I I think that even the press conference, like the press conference where you know Osprey, and I, this is where I was really happy. And this is what we talked about, and we talked about in a previous episode about Osprey's finally figured out about how to he's making other people. Like that press conference was all about getting Finley over as this sort of badass sort of character, to the extent that Osprey's like a whole construction is like everything he's doing is setting up this idea about, well, Finley is one of those Hontai boys and they don't, they want to do it fairly in the ring and they want to be all this sort of stuff. And he's like, oh, what a disappointment you are to your old man, your relationship, you know, you've been abandoned by everyone. And it's like, and that's fires up Finley to be like, hang on now, like, and throws a charity set, which I think is just great from the lads. Just I think given the news of the last couple of weeks, I think that's just tremendous. Great areas. Yeah. Um, just having a go. And then Osprey saying this would not be, this kind of behavior would not be tolerated at other companies. It's like just having fun with that idea, which is, which is good. But Osprey set him up for that. And it set up the character because it was like, from that moment, Finley saying, I, you think I'm, I'm a Hontai guy that's all yeah. play by the rules. I'm not. And I'm going to show you. It's like, try me. Like I said, try me, bitch. Like, try me. And it's like, he doesn't have a voice that screams intimidating. He doesn't have an, a persona that necessarily screams intimidating. But when he talks shit and gets, it's it kind of sounds sadistic because he's like, he's like a nice boy gone bad. Mm. And it, it's a different you know, like he's like talking to him, like, he's like, how are you feeling, Will? Like, how are you feeling? And it's got this sense of like, I'm 
fucking fed up. I'm so fed up. I've been doing, it's like fight club or something, you know, like I've had to live this thing for so long being the nice guy. I'm fucking over it. You know, I, I we talked a while back and we kind of did that, you know, buy or sell on Finley, you know, would he join a faction and where would he go? And we talked mm. a bit about United Empire or Bullet Club or you know, being a bit unsure. And I was like, well, I mean, I like this idea of the rebellious uh, individual. But here's his thing, Dave. All these leaders of these factions that when they start up, right, Finley to me, like he he has this rebellious spirit, and he's an he's a loner. But don't you get the sense that that will inspire other people to want to follow him, because he's showing, like, what what giving up on this idea of being the good guy, bad well, giving up on this this idea of who I am and what I'm supposed to be. It's like it is a bit like the narrator in Fight Club, right? Like mm. he's created his Tyler. Like he's created the rebel character that comes out and he's going to feel something by by essentially escaping this whatever this idea of the you know Debbie Debbie's dead. Like yeah. there's no more Deb and he's not gonna see in the mountains anymore. Like all of the the fun loving character of him is gone because he's realized what he values and that is alluring. I mean, yeah, uh, speaking of Debbie, you could show her coming back. Yeah, the, I'm thinking the Dojo Boys. Like, you don't think some of those Dojo Boys are looking like Narita, like like these guys that are coming back are like, like this thing that's interesting about Finley is like he can say like, I went through the system. I did everything that they asked of me. I did I everything that the boys did, I did. Everything that Jay did, I did. And what do I get for it? What do I show for it? I'm a I'm being paired up. I've never been given an opportunity. And I it's, it's always I've won all these things like tag belts and that. And no one gave me credit for any of the things I did because they always saw it as I was I was the being leeched off someone, off some yeah. the other guy. Whether it was Kojima and Ricochet and the sixth man or whether it was Juice, I was always seen as the other guy. And I'm no one's other guy. I'm I'm the rebel, I'm David Finley. Like that's his thing. I'm the guy. And I'm sick of this shit. And I'm not gonna take it anymore. And you wonder if that's a that it's got to be an insecurity that I think a lot of dojo boys and a lot of returning wrestlers would probably feel like, like like a Wato, mm. right? Like if you're Master Wato, yeah, and you're looking at it going like I'm frustrated, I can't break out of this thing. It's like there's a guy that's shown me the way. Like fuck the the tradition of like this thing. Fuck fucking the Wato, fucking yo, yeah. I've all the all like the misfits, all the boys that haven't connected, fuck off. <laughs> like they yeah. believe Hontai and Chaos, whatever the Hontai Chaos combination thing is, they leave that in and they seek out the rebel and they say, We'll follow him, you know, and that group of ass kickers. Like mm. there's a possibility that's an area they could go in. I And there's another part of me that thinks like, there's parts of me that's like, I see Shoda, I see the connection between those two boys. Um, I also see Mox out there as like the deaf riders. Yeah, and I yeah. see that as like, I wonder, because Mox is, I mean, you want to talk about a rebellious spirit. Um, you wonder if like they could tell some interesting story about that, you know, David, Finley and Mox, you know, Mox has got connections to fit mm. that, um that they 
that Mox has been a part of that that evolution of the character, that movement of the character. Yeah. Um, when he when David Renton wrestled at AW, he went after Hangman. Um, at the time, was involved and like there's that's the direction that they're going. So there's something there's something I think there could be something to that with Shoda with with a few of those boys that could potentially be the Death Riders because the Death Riders is going to be a thing at some point. And I don't know what the Death Rider mentality would be, but my guess would be uh, rebellious, spirit. rebellious spirit. And I'm, fuck your convention. Yeah. I'm going to do it my way. It seems interesting that just as a side note, Dave, you, you mentioned him, that at the Royal Quest uh, coming up, that Shoda is wrestling Osprey. Yeah. So the first defense, like the first, the next match after he wrestles Finley, he goes off to wrestle Shooter. It's in, and then Shota uh, tweeted out today that he's um he's going to force a paradigm shift. I'm like, okay, thanks. I, like, I'm so proud of you, Shooter. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cool like that'd be like you could start a faction right now, Mox Finley Shooter, and the Death Riders, and you've got yourself basically your three levels of like you got you you established. I got my, my I got my world heavyweight title level. I got my US title level, and I got like my never title level established. Yeah. Instantly, yeah, yeah, ready to go. Um, and you got a tag team to do tag league if you want. Yeah. Although I get the feeling that I get the feeling that they that's not necessarily maybe something that they're interested in. Like that could be the interesting yeah, part about yeah, them. Of course. Like they're these yeah. big game hunters. But I something's happening with that man. Like and coming up the you know American flag and stuff and everything. I'm like something's happening with this guy. I don't know what it is. There's something going on there with Finley that's that's you know, and that's the thing. Like Osprey has gotten to the point now where I just expect great stuff. That's the expectation. It's going to be good. I'm more interested in the people that that he's being that he's working with and seeing what they're what they're going to do in terms of how he can. Yeah, because he's he's a made man now. Yeah, that's why. So when he's like he's there and he's elevating dudes and elevating. Uh, whatever could potentially happen in their own stories or the development of their character moving forward, then, um, yeah, I'm the same. I'm a bit more intrigued on the other side uh, because I feel like, I mean, Osprey is he's he's one of those guys now. He's he's up there with the big boys. Yeah, that's it, and. The fact that he's holding that US belt is a is a really good sign for the belt too, I think. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to go to the Kenny Omega match. I know that's an area they want to go, and I think that would be that would do great business. So I don't know how the story would go, but nonetheless, something to, to consider moving forward. If 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 they can't get organized the Kenny thing, then I think Naito is not a bad backup. Um, if they keep elevating that US belt, then there's a potential to go that direction. They had a you know they had a great match at the G1. Uh, semi-final and it was you know short relatively and it's one of those matches where i think we after it we said it felt like there was they had more that they could do more you know yeah um but that was that was a night where naito you know really put on the working boots and was doing things some things in that suplex combo reversal whatever the thing that was they were doing stuff that was like oh naito went back in time you know um so I, i would be interested in it but i'm more interested in thinking about the direction that could come out of that, that main um, in terms of, in terms of Finley, because it's like, he just tweeted out a broken heart. That was his, that was all he did. And it was like, 
New Japan love, fucking love someone that keeps failing. Like they love that story of like just constant failure um, as a way to generate engagement and sympathy and loyalty to a person. Well, it's like um, any great story, yeah? It raises the stakes. Yeah. So he's, he's got to have something to lose, I guess, is the next next element of him. Um, but I think I think Finley versus Juice is the logical direction. I think that would be a a great blow off for this season, and maybe that's when you do something, you know. And it's interesting enough that Juice happens to be wrestling Mox this week. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, like out of nowhere, out of yeah. out, just out of nowhere, they just rekindle that rivalry, just out of nowhere. And it's like, could you see Finley turning up? I mean, the rebel does what the rebel wants. Like, it's like fuck this guy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's like I could, I could conceivably see it. Like, if you want to do something, if you're in Japan, you want to get something out of it. That's shoot a fucking angle. Why not? Yeah. And Mox has got the sway at this point, and he do whatever the fuck he wants. I, I, I don't know whether this is just Mox booking. (laughs) Like, they're like Mox. Who would you like to wrestle? Um, because thanks for coming back, bud. You've yeah, got a week yeah, here yeah. between. Exactly. You've you've got a you've got say here because you're sort of doing us a solid. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, let's get juice. Let's get juice back on. Let's do this because for people that uh, that weren't around in like 2019, that was one of the the really solid rivalries of that of that year. That first match they had was yeah unreal, um, and really established both guys in the company in terms of what they were going to be, you know, and we always knew juice was great, but like, you know, when he went out and blew out his coccyx, we knew, <laughs> <laughs> we knew something special was coming. Um, and basically mocked crafted every aspect of what the character would become in that match. You know, we got to see the unhinged violence kind of version. Um, the bites and, and, uh, running, mate. and he did someone that was yeah. willing to basically give up, crazy yeah, give up yeah. his body for the for the fucking art <laughs> um, yeah, lunatics it's just his fucking nuts that's the thing about him yeah that's the thing people yeah. don't give him enough credit for and that that nah, he is... and i did see online that a few people sort of shitting on that matchup the dynamite a bit. they don't know oh, they just like you don't know that guy is fucking crazy yeah you're gonna see and this character of Juice, this version of Juice versus Mox, because he's not going to underestimate Mox. No. And that's the big thing. For... Yeah, he's not going to underestimate him, and Mox is positioned above him. So yeah. there's no chance he's going to win. No. But be prepared for something. I mean, brutal. Something pretty unhinged, like, you know, Zach Sabre Jr. had a fair hissy fit a while back. <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting Juice to just—he's—he he mean—he may well never be invited back to Dynamite because there's a good chance he's going to swear. Yeah. Oh, can you can, honestly? Can he like? Can he have a match for <laughs> as this character? Yeah. Like, yeah. If if Jay seconds him to the ring, <laughs> fucking look out. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, a lot of people are excited when they saw Juice. When they saw Juice um, coming in, they were very excited about the the like the six degrees of separation of what that might mean because it was like, well, Jay's Jay's like that's like his second in command guy, like that's the second guy to Jay. Like when and when and importantly when they were on the forbidden door thing, um, 
they presented Jay next to Juice, like Juice was there, not in any like wrestling com- capacity, but just there as a character to be like seconding, like, mm. yeah, like just so you could say Shivani. But like they paired them up. I think that was conscious. So people have in their mind, those two are somewhat there they're together. Yeah. And so if Mox is wrestling Juice, does that not mean that he's also somewhat tangentially linked to, to Jay? And it's like, that's an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting little area. And it's important to remember, like it's such a forgotten detail, but the press conference where Jay did the thing, you know, and just decided that he was going to have a full-on rant and the precursor to CM Punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kayfabe, kayfabe Punk, you know. Um, but when he did that, and like I, I like we all laugh about Tony Khan's reaction, but Tony f- figured out pretty quickly, like what was happening about halfway through that was like. Yeah. Okay, this is where this is going because he, he sort of laughed and then he sort of giggled and then fucking Jay just scolded him. And he was like, he's like, he figured it out and he's like, this guy's unprofessional. Like, he's an unprofessional ass. Like, this guy's just not, he's just, he's all about himself. But when he walked out, when Jay was leaving, and it's, I, I honestly think it's one of the best things that, that Tony Khan has actually done was he just went, watch, watch him, watch him settle like because mox was coming in mm. and he's like just just he's like saying to the back and no one can see but he's like saying to the back just just get someone just just someone get between there he's a bit fight he's a bit he's a bit feisty tonight and mox being this like professional guy champ comes in or like the, they sort of position him as like the the good guy versus this fucking asshole and there's there's potential danger between these combustible elements and it's like that was subtle but it's like it can, they can always go back to that now because they had that little interaction where there was tension because one viewed the other as, you know, a dick and one viewed the other as being entitled and looked after. I mean, could we potentially hear, like, you know, we're talking about shooting an angle. Could we potentially hear be, could this be the beginning of a Mox Wrestle Kingdom story? Potentially. Potentially, yeah. I think it's, I mean, Mox, like when Mox first started, it was Mox, um, like we saw the direction that the 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 two-year angle was. It was going to be sort of Mox versus Juice and and like Mox versus like to try to, the idea was him, was it going to be him against Fed guys? That was kind of the thinking they were going to start with was like him versus mm-hmm. the guys. Because I think the original plan, according to Carl Anderson, was that um, he was going to return, Carl Anderson was going to return. Uh, and Wrestle Kingdom to wrestle Mox. That was going to be like the, the direction. And it's going to be like defeat the guy that went to like, you know, that yeah. idea. Like yeah. Mox would conquer all of the people from his past that had found their way to New Japan. So nice one-year arc. And apparently because mm-hmm. I heard Mox on a podcast talk about it. And like he's like, that was the story that he was sort of sold on. It's like, yeah, cool. That's a, that's a cool story. I can get by that. Like Juice was the guy at NXT that was at FCW under me and he never could catch, you know, he was never going to get to me and he resents me and I'm going to go after him because I think he's made himself a big star out here and he's lived the life I want and I want to go get him. That's mm. a cool, simple story. And then it's like he takes on those guys and then Carl Anderson would be the guy that left New Japan to go to the Fed and try to be what Mox is going to be and wasn't as successful as me, but he's coming back because he resents John Moxley for doing what Carl Anderson wanted to do. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you you had the career at the WWE and now you come into my territory to do what I've done and try to 
be the, the Western guy that does all this great shit. He's like, that's a cool one, one year arc. So that was what he was sold on. And then he finished that and then he enters Minoru Suzuki. And then, you know, he beats Minoru Suzuki in, you know, probably maybe Mox's, maybe one of Mox's best matches that no one talks about that new beginning uh, match against Suzuki where they just fucking started going one another. Um, and enter Zack Sabre Jr., right? Zack comes out, chokes him out, and then the pandemic happens. Mm. So obviously the story was Mox was going to move over from that to then going versus Suzuki-gun. That was going to be the direction. And they obviously couldn't get to it. And so then Mox had a Mox versus Kenta thing was happening for a bit. You know, it was like this idea of Kenta, this sort of... and But Mox never sold it as Mox versus Bullet Club. He only ever sold it as Mox versus Legends. That mm. was like his Legends era where he's wrestling Nagata and Kojima and Kenta and Suzuki again, like that we sort of went to the dads, Tanahashi being the the end of that arc. Ultimate dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 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 the, the, the most functional dad, like the dad <laughs> that can still go to a level that others can't. He's like the young dad. Don't know Kenta he is, eh? Well, yes, that's true. Well, the <laughs> reason Kenta can't go the way he used to is because of the functional dad. Uh, <laughs> but the that position of like the legends that arc's done now too isn't it mm. so i was like well what's the next arc maybe it's mox versus bullet club and if it's going to be mox versus bullet club well then now we open up an interesting space mm. because mox can recruit his boy shooter but who else has got gripes against that fucking bullet club yeah yeah and can mox and and can continue things while Mox is in the states. Doing exactly. Stuff. So it might not be. I, I know we've got a question. I'm interested to get into it, but I do think there's an opportunity for the Deaf Riders to finally be a thing. And I feel like that the potential is let's let's do the Deaf Riders versus the Bullet Club as the direction we go, and. Box's character in New Japan can just be that lone, like the boogeyman, like the lone guy. But they, they've already established and they've established it in canon. Like when they did the the show, um, when Jay was wrestling, he wrestled Shooter in that opening challenge, that open challenge. It was Shooter that went stood up to Jay. And Mox famously say, what are you waiting for, Shooter? Go out there and get him. And it's like, I think that, I think they're circling one another. I think there's a long play here. And... Mm. It's and if you're New Japan, like if you're New Japan and you've like the thing about it, and people aren't don't want to talk about it, and that's the fact is Mox is the ace of AEW. He is the man, and yeah. everyone knows it, everyone accepts it. He's the most respected, probably the most respected wrestler on the planet. Yeah. And he's a New Japan guy. And that's the part where there's not like we've got to do a deal with AEW to get him across. Like we have to be play nice and pot like. He's got to deal with us too. So if he's as long as it doesn't conflict with you, we can get him. And mm. how valuable is that to be able to say, Mox, we've got a one-year story arc where you are it's gonna be you and a bunch of guys against Bullet Club, and it's gonna to lead to you versus Jay at the end of it. Yeah. And we're gonna do that at a that like we're gonna do that at a forbidden door two or something. We're gonna do this like big long arc. That's a huge money match. Like right. that is. Like that's the the two world champions currently 
and then I mean, uh, I mean, dude, you could take the belt off Jay at that too because it's Mox. It's Mox. It's the only. It's probably the only guy in AEW that they would they would be happy to trust that they would trust at this point. Yeah, to put the belt on. To put the belt on, and it would be ridiculous. Like it'd be crazy. Like mm. it'd be nuts. It would set the world on fire. But what a what a story of this idea of the Bullet Club, like for what they are. And this, this, it's it's more. It's like they have to tell the story, but it's a, the potential of it is just money. It's just big, big money. And then he could lose it to a Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and there you build there. It's like, like, just like <laughs> we, just want, we just want to see. We just want to see. But like, like whether they go that far and they put the belt on, or they do a reverse thing, and Jay. Doesn't have the belt. Mox Mox won't have the belt. Mox won't have that AW belt for for very long. I don't think. I think. Yeah. Um, and I just think what he's done this year for himself in terms of his legacy, in terms of how he's perceived, has been you know nothing short of you know monumental for Moxley. Like he's yeah. And I mean, he may well turn around to Tony and say, okay. The belt's coming off me. I'm going on my uh, six-week fishing trip. That fishing trip just happens to be in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go fishing with Okada. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I put this on Twitter, and I said it, and I, I and I, and it's things that I've I've been noticing about this guy, and I, and like I said, I don't watch AEW as religiously or with a fine tooth comb, but I do watch Moxley, and that's the thing I, I'm very mindful of is like I'm conscious of guys. I'm interested in New Japan guys. Like I like to watch them. And I view I view Moxley as a New Japan guy. Like I understand he's been in AEW and that, and he is an AEW champ. He's an AEW guy too, but he he cares about New Japan. He's always advocating on its behalf. And mm. the thing I was sort of trying to show people was I was saying something that I really appreciate about Mox on his you know his um his Wrestle of the Year run you know that he's he's on right now um, is that. He he has had some big feuds, some like some big matches along the way that he sort of picked out guys or whatever, some sort of just matchmaking stuff. But when he beats them, he takes their thing. So like he started using the gotch style pile driver after wrestling Suzuki. He's integrated the cutter after wrestling Osprey. Mm. Right. Like he's he's integrating, he's he him, he did a Kenta Marafuji spot in that match with Brian. And it's like the the little things that he's incorporating from every person that he beats is like now after he beat Tana, he started proclaiming himself the ace, right? Yeah. It's not doing the high five flat. No, no. <laughs> I think Mox is going to line up for that. I think we were about to say he's not going to do the air guitar post match. But did he do? He didn't. Has he been doing a dragon screw? Sorry. That's... He's been doing the dragon screw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he and he starts incorporating stuff from people that he beats. And then New Japan guys. So he takes New Japan guys stuff and starts incorporating into his wrestling like he's a like he's the predator taking trophies. Yeah. And I think that that is something that he is very conscious of doing. It's subtle. It doesn't doesn't scream, look at me, look at me. But for people that are New Japan fans that are watching along, they'll start spotting stuff and like he's he's calling out across the seas, you know, he's calling out across yeah, yeah. the ocean saying, Don't, don't think i have forgotten about this this side i'm very mindful of this you know like um and i think that it's just a matter of time 
It's just a matter of time. And the benefit for New Japan, what they have to be so proud and pleased about, is his stock has risen mm. in the time he's been doing his AEW stuff. It's only been for the benefit of the guy. And he will bring an audience with him uh, across to watch him in those contexts. Dude, smelliest of smelliness, uh, conspiracy book the shit out of this one. If at any point he ends up in a matchup with Alex Shelley somehow, whether it's a tag or one-on-one, that'd be cool. Because then you know he'll be like stealing something from him that Jay's got. Like, I mean, the Blade Runner, imagine that. Imagine he pins Alex Shelley oh, and that's starts just... beating people with the Blade Runner. <laughs> Yeah, oh, because Jada's fucking seething. Yeah, <laughs> like, but but it's been something that's been built for a while because it's something that I like. I just keep my eyes on those like little little Easter eggs, little nuggets, little things that pop out. You know, like on Twitter a few months back, Renee Young was putting out a thing about question time for her podcast with John Moxley, and Jay sent in a question saying, um, uh why does John Moxley got a losing record against Jay White? Like, like <laughs> and it was just like, he's just, he just is saying like, you know, you think you, you know, you think you're shit, right? Like you ain't beat me. Like this idea of like, um, it's a, it's one of those matches. Like it's one of those things that's out there and new Japan have to, you know, rightly or wrongly with certain matches, they, they don't just book that. Like they booked Osprey versus Mox because it's like that will be a great match and that's going to be good for both guys. It's going to propel Osprey's story. It's going to get over him as being tough, mm. you know, and he's got sort of being screwed by the New Japan hierarchy and system. It's going to frustrate him to sort of become more uh, fuck the rules, back ourselves, kind of us against them mentality, which is we're now seeing the fruit of that, you know. They don't have to... You know, he he actually in the match against Finley, you know, he was near the ropes and he got his foot up there and Red Shoes spotted it. So it's shown that that progression has happened. It's ended. Like the referees have now caught that, you know, he's not going to get fucked over in this way. But as a as a consequence of being fucked over, he built the empire um, and now he's off on his own. Whereas they put that together for the short term. They're not going to put, they're not going to hot shot Jay versus Box. I'm going to put that in. Nah. They, are, they are going to build to that and they're going to make people want to see it. And I don't know what the story of that is other than um, then Mox versus Bullet Club as a, as a, I'm willing to take on all 20 of you. <laughs> like I'm like, I'll front up and then people seeing that and the rebel, for instance, David mm. Finley going, I'll stand with you. And guys like Shoda being like, I'm always with your dad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and like and seeing who might come along. And it might be G.O.D. You know, mm. it might be it might be these guys that are all gonna be the Death Riders, you know? Who knows? Who knows? Like G.O.D. feels like it's its own thing. It's probably a good time to segue into a question. Funnily enough, we had the, the little bit of discussion, and interestingly enough, Doctor, the doctor is back, Dr. Gary. P Mariner has asked another question. I actually made mention to this on Twitter saying that you and I had had a little sneaky conversation about something very similar to this question and that we were excited to talk about it. So uh, Dr. Gary is uh, a bit simpatico. He's lining up with our, our thinking, which is, I don't know if it's a good thing for him or a bad, bad thing for him. Good thing for us. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Dr. Gary asks, who is the next to leave Bullet Club? And do you see G.O.D. becoming a faction of its own within Hontai, already up to the four members now, obviously with 
uh, Tamatonga, Tungaloa, Hikaleo, and of course the king of baby faces, Jado. Um, so, two-part question: Who do we see as being the next to defect? From the from the sounds of it, Dave, you're not entirely convinced that Hikaleo has defected yet. Is it like a you're you getting smellness? Why? I don't know. Look, uh, who knows? Like it's kind of like the double turn thing. It could be a uh, like a booking thing where Hikaleo ends up costing his brother the title, and actually I didn't turn all along, you know. And Jay being like, "Ha ha, it's my you. Because there's this kind of whole thing with Jay and uh, in the post match press conference, like he was going on about Tama. Oh, you're smart this time, Tama. Oh, of course, of course, you know those kind of yeah. things. So that made me a bit. Like, yeah, Tremendous yeah. promo in the back from Jay yeah, with, awesome. with him completely beginning to like you pick the you pick the time like almost like he's seeing his plans crumble a little bit. He's giving off the impression that his his plans are yeah. in. You know how, like I was thinking about that the other day when I was watching that promo, and I'm like, you know, Eddie Kingston, they always call him the Mad King. Like mm. I look at Jay in this sort of run. At the moment, and I'm like, there's like the, the un, they're unraveling, un, yeah, there's kind of like a mad king element about it with Bullet Club, you know, like that idea of uh, is Bullet Club fine? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, things being a bit wonky. Uh, you know, who is someone going to turn on Jay at some point? Because um, he feels a bit deluded, like he feels like. He's like he's he's seeing he sees something like he's saying about Hikaleo. It's like I, you know, you are nothing without me. You're this, you know, like I gave you all this stuff. But it's like you had to think, didn't you? You, you had to believe. Like, how much do you believe that you could convince this man to turn on his to own turn on his own brothers? Like, um, like even when he said you'll be nothing without me, you'd be nothing about the Bullet Club. He always makes it sort of clear, like I'm part of the bo- I'm one of the boys. I'm one of you guys. But but then he has these moments where he elevates himself and wants to be the special saviour, Jesus, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that's going on there. It's like, devote yourself to me how I feel I should be devoted to. Mm. Like, that's what I... That's like the, the idea of this kind of like the Mad King sort of comes from for me it's like he knows that he's kind of like he's kind of got to pay people or turn them against their families or whatever to have them align with him Uh, but yet it's like an overcompensation because he doesn't really trust that anyone's going to stick with him i don't think he even trusted gato is going to stay with him no, and we've we've had this discussion for as long as we've talked about the Jay White Bullet Club character, for as long as we've been having these discussions regarding this guy, is his trust issues. Because the story I used to say was like all the five, you know, the five thing is the is is his dojo class, the guys that were with him in the dojo that he would return to as the guys, the only guys he could really trust when he's been betrayed you know, by all these things. And the idea is he's always positioned himself as the snake. And did you see that he, he in his Instagram post about Hikaleo, he posted about 
that he used that snake reference. Everyone's got to be so mindful. When he joined Chaos, he joined Chaos as someone actively against Okada. Mm. Actively saying, I should like, and trying to convince Ishii, like that was the early story, convince Ishii, why have you never gone after that belt that that man holds? Is it your false loyalty to this guy in the system? It should be the best person. It should be the, he, he was actively encouraging Chaos within Chaos. He wanted them to because his philosophy was the best should run the thing yeah and if you're the younger stronger whatever you should challenge yeah, yeah. and it's like ishi obviously is not younger nor stronger but he might be the best he might be the wildest you know like mm. and it was like but when he was invited in everyone was like oh what's akata doing and the idea was well we've got to have troops against this omega bullet club thing and this guy turned on bullet club so the enemy of my enemy is my friend and when he turned on him, it's like that. It's that parable of like the the woman that takes in the the wounded snake and feeds it and and nurses it back to health, only for that snake to bite the woman. And then the woman's like, "Well, why did you bite me?" It's like, "Well, when you brought me in, you knew I was a snake." And it's yeah. like, so you see that snake imagery that he he has that Jay White snake imagery T shirt, that sort of thing. It's like he was always the snake, and so he was like, well, I was just doing what I was always going to do. And I think to some extent, when he starts the Bullet Club and he transitions to that point, surely in his own mind, he thinks that everyone that comes in is going to be a snake. Doesn't he Doesn't he think the next guy? It's a, that, yeah, you're a snake in a nest of snakes. Yeah, you're all coming in. You're all coming for me. And so he plays the character of being the friend to everyone. My best friend, Adam Cole, my best friend. Yeah. He plays the friend because he wants people to believe that he trusts them but ultimately he doesn't but yet when piccolo does this to him he's like you hurt me like you like you like what are you doing like i don't i don't know if there's a i think maybe it's also from his perspective too it's a i don't know what you do why would you do that to me because like look at where i am compared to where your brothers are yeah you can't understand anything other than success. Like yeah, you can't understand why anyone would do anything without, why wouldn't you want to be with the best guy? Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want to challenge? Cause he, he fought Hikaleo like in strongly, like he fought him as the idea of test yourself against me. Like this idea of, you know, like, okay, you want to test the big, you know, the, the king of the pride. All right, let's, let's go. And I will, I will defend myself against you guys. And that's, that's the that's the system that he's built. And Tama Tonga comes along as this beautiful opposition to that. This thing of like saying, you know, like it's about building family. Like you you built like when I started Bullet Club, we were a family. Mm. You know, like And they were cohesive. They, you know, they were a cohesive unit, whereas they haven't been that for a long time. No. And it seemed like Jay brought a bit of that back when he sort of took the reins, but that has crumbled over time. With him sort of absent at the at the, at the leadership, at the wheel. Losing, was... Yeah, losing his mind over his control. Yeah. And guys like El Fantasma questioning him and guys like, you know, Kenta questioning what's going on, where are we going? It, the House of Torture breaking off and doing their own thing is this weird part of this thing. It's like it's so fractured. It's yeah. all fractured. And Tama Tonga is saying, like, we well, did the best thing for me because, you know, you got rid of me, you turned on me. But what it was wasn't 
it wasn't what it was when I was there and what I was doing with it. And I'm going to go off and create my own thing, you know, and it's going to be the family, the, the guys that, you know, that understand the importance of, of loyalty and being all in together. And that's what the bullet club was. It was like, we're all in this together and whether they were fucking up and ruining matches or whether they were doing the DQ runs or whether they were supporting the rise of certain guys. But it was, again, that arc and that story was there when the elite started to become about the elite. Tama Tonga was not happy about that. Yeah. He's never been happy about someone trying to go above and beyond the family, like stepping out against the family. And for him, he can't understand why certain guys in bullet club stay there when that ethos is clearly not being enacted by the Jay White leadership, who is, whether rightly or wrongly, is encouraging people to, he's encouraging snake behavior. Like he's mm -hmm. just saying, go out there and do damage. It does seem more and more like it's a house of cards, the Bullet Club. Yeah. And that's intriguing from a storytelling perspective mm. because. It's like how how do you get there? What what is the what is the pardon lack of a better word? What's the catalyst for it? Is it Jay? Is it Jay's lack of leadership when to others where he sees what he's doing as leadership? Would it be would it be the compelling sort of jumping off the back of what? Dr. Garrett, because the obviously the question is like who's going to leave? And I was thinking, wouldn't that be like my thinking is obviously the the path of Bullet Club has been who's going to turn on Jay to take leadership. But what if it isn't even well, this is that. what we talked about last week. I was like, what if he he leaves? But what if I'm just thinking off the back of this and what we've just had a discussion, what if he doesn't leave, but everybody leaves him over time? Yeah. Like the idea of the bullet club crumbles. And he's like watching his troops slowly diminish as they all either fall by the wayside, leave him, try to defect, create their own things. Like House of Torches, it takes two or three of them and goes over there. Says, all right, we're going to take... EOD starts a thing, yeah. So ELP looks and says, all right, I'm going to team up with someone else. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's... What if Ishimori and Kenta say, "Yeah, we're going to go with House of Torture and we're going to we're going to create our own thing. We turn against the existing Bullet Club, and then another couple of people in Bullet Club go the like, and then over time, over the course of a thing, and that's why even we're talking before about that Death Riders Mox thing. Like the story would be cool of a challenging faction going against the Bullet Club and beating them one by one, and those people being of a kicked out or feeling that they've not been supported in this system, that they've that they look at an look at the United Empire and they look at a GOD and they see these are cohesive units. Mm. And they're together. They're yeah. so together and they're so connected. And we are so not, you know, we are so disconnected that no one really knows who and what. And we're all over the place and we're all discombobulated. We need someone to either lead us out of this, or we need to get out of this ourselves. And I mean, yeah, too. Like, I mean, Bullet Club's thing for a while has been a story of like, you know, Jay with uh, uh, Chase. It was like, a, like money was the motivator. Mm. So greed, say greed is the motivator. Uh, you know, if you're going into a faction war, you'll probably want a little more than greed to motivate. Yeah. yeah, and especially against some men that can't be bought. Yeah, like. That's the thing about it. Like if you go in again, like like Finley has that potential. Like obviously 
we've got a guy like Juice who's just turned. It's like, all right, Juice is with Jay for whatever reason, though, that he's with him. And they're dojo boys together. So there's something there. And I think Jay can trust him. In his mind, in his mind, Jay can trust Juice because he knows him. And that'll be an interesting story, story too, because he he can probably trust Juice, but can he control him? Yeah. And can he control Juice's uh the id <laughs> that is in that is that is Juice at the moment in terms yeah. of like and that's the thing, like he might he might have his one guy that he can rely on, and you're right. He might be a fucking lunatic that ultimately makes it a liability, and that's a tough choice too. Like mm. there's something there's something in that there's something in the dynamics at play. I feel like over the next twelve to eighteen months that the Bullet Club diminishes greatly in the standing of New Japan's positioning, and that. They've been doing so well on this stuff and they've been doing great on the merch and everything, but they are starting to, they're starting to work to try to promote other brands. You know, the, you know, the United empire got the, you know, their first shirts came out and they weren't much of a hit. They then partnered up with the fucking Justin Davis, um, you know, diamond thing and got that, you know, that new Corona inspired design or whatever it is, the, you know, the United empire looking thing. That's like, um, that's obviously a bit more stylized and looks mm. kind of cool. And they're like, okay, we're going to go off this new direction. Cause I know when, see, I, I don't think it goes by um, put it this way. I didn't, it didn't go unnoticed. The first attempt to design the United empire um, branding was like a shield and it had a different icon for the different wrestlers. Mm. And it was like, I think they were trying to replicate the bullet club system of the, the Bullet Club skull um, logo that could be adjusted to the, the, each competitor. The individual, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is easily, and I honestly say, is easily the best piece of pro wrestling merchandise ever designed. Yeah. Because what a great system. Because it not only, like it's like an NWO shirt that can be targeted for each, whoever the member of the, whoever the person was. Yeah. You know, it could be a DX shirt, like those iconic shirts, but for the actual wrestler and you know, it's a bullet club shirt, but you know, specifically whose shirt it is. It is. Yeah. Like that's a, it's in, that was an ingenious thing. So, and it's made shit tons of money for them. So they're like, all right, well, we're going to push this empire thing. Let's try that again. It didn't work because the shield thing wasn't dynamic enough. Now they've gone to the crowns up model. And I think they're going to, they, they'll probably try to figure out how they can work with that crown and they'll, they'll figure, try to think in that space, but it's clear they want to position United Empire in that sort of in that sort of way as well. You know, they've got their own hand signal. They got there's a lot of bullet club isms that are mm. coming in the form of the United Empire. So if they're getting the the push and they're getting the story of that, it's like and Bullet Club has become sort of this amorphous, floaty, whatever. You know, the the, the clarity of the identity of the Bullet Club hasn't really hasn't since Tama left you sort of lost any connective tissue um, in terms of their philosophy. You mm. know, what is their philosophy about the way they wrestle? It's like, it's Jay White's philosophy and his thing of, but it's like the house of torture has got a much clearer identity than the bullet club do yeah. um, rightly or wrongly for better or for worse. But that's the thing. Like evil can't be like evil. Couldn't give, I can't imagine he gives two shits about Jay White. I mean, like, and also it's yeah and it's a di- and it's a different version of bullet club too it's like it's because it feels like for jay it's all about jay hmm. it's not all about 
Bullet Club. No, even though he always makes it a mention of like, oh, Bullet Club this, Bullet Club that. It's all about Bullet Club. But it's like your actions, clearly it's about you. <laughs> like, mm. And even when, even coming down to pinning Adam Cole and like Adam Cole and the Bullet Club connection from the past, like, okay, but when, you know, push comes to shove, you're the weak link, I'm taking you down. Um, I think there's something in that where I just think people will come to the realization. I think that's sort of what Jack, Dr. Gary sort of mentioning is like, I just like the idea of rather than Bullet Club starting to kick people out, we get more people coming to realization that they want out. Yeah. That's how you, that's how you drive the mad King fervid into infinity is they start doing what Hikaleo did. They go against the club. That to me is the, that's the, that's the thing that really. That's a better, that's a better story too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a much more compelling story and it, it allows us to see a, a future in which we've just talked about the empire exists. The mighty don't kneel exist. The potential of the deaf riders. We're talking about new factions. Team filthy is out there. Yeah. There are new factions that are, that are floating around the new Japan ecosphere, uh, you know, like they're around. There's, there's landing spots now. It's not just go and join chaos. And if God, I think a hundred percent gorillas of destiny should become their own faction. Yeah. It's built for it. You know, um, it's just it's just built the gorillas like they can fit this idea of this you know like it's a perfect thing in a in a war you know the gorilla fighters these guys that know the terrain that understand the landscape that can play both sides it fits and i could 100 percent see someone turning against the club and going there someone turning against the club and going to the mighty don't kneel someone turning against the club and joining team filthy like mm. and you just instantly create all of these rivalries within the place and you you just create this story of the leader watching yeah. his empire crumble you and know? you're strengthening all those other factions that for such a long period of time have sort of seemed uh i mean whether i mean chaos that they've always kind of for a while they've seemed a bit weaker well chaos yeah, needs I mean, chaos needs a reshuffle as it is yeah, and because you've got these new ones there, I mean, how better? What a better way! What better way to strengthen them by new additions being from what was once this sort of feared faction? Well, that was the thing about like they did it once with the Robbie Eagles thing, like Robbie joining Bullet Club and then realizing I don't belong in this space. Yeah, and that was him, and that was him and ELP in particular. That was literally they didn't tell Robbie versus Jay, although he did turn on Jay. You know, in Sydney, he did go against him, but it was always Robbie versus ELP. If ELP is what the Bullet Club's about, then I can't be about it. Mm. Um, that was all, and those two are always going to be tied together because, I mean, we saw it this year's best of Super Juniors. Like those two work, and they can always go back to it, and they've got a built story because of it. But they they touch that idea of someone defecting. It's like, can you believe they defected the Bullet Club? With always this thing, like you're you're a dead man. They like Jay famously in that promo at Sydney, you're a dead man, and it's like you don't do it. It's such a it's such a rare thing to see, and it's so taboo. It's like the, the Bullet Club is fine. Storyline was always about how dare these elite try to defect and go against us, and it's like and they're, and they're and they're pleading. We're not trying to. We're not we're not doing that at all. We're just you know we're just being ourselves, our group within the thing, and the fact that Hikaleo has now done this the next person to leave bullet club. And I think it is, it's, it's, they have to leave. 
And I mean, I've we've had smellness in regards to you know. I think, I think Ishimori Kenta. There's something in that space where I wouldn't be trusting Kenta. <laughs> like I wouldn't. Mm. I'd have very little. I don't think. I don't, I don't know what Kenta's doing, but you never know. I think here. But you look at the. You talked about how Bullet Club is their identity's been different. Like it doesn't go without notice that you know ELP has sort of toned down the cheating. Ishimori hasn't. You know, Kenta continues to do the cheating. Certain guys cheat. Certain guys yeah. have called it. There's not a distinct, you know, approach from either one. Um, it feels to me like they're setting up for the cheaters are over here in House of Torture. So if you're like that, you'll defect to that group and that group will separate. And I see House of Torture with Ishimori and I see Kenta. I think Kenta would be a perfect addition for House of Torture. Go that way. Because um, not that evil can't evil he'd have his second in command, you know, like his 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 awesome you know general like that can if at any moment can be serious, but also can play fun, which is the big dynamic of that group. And then they go, and then you have obviously ELP is going to go somewhere, and I, I feel like he's a, he's I, I feel like he's the most likely candidate to break out because he can't see the path to the top. He's the, he's the most likely candidate in one direction. If there's someone going to turn on leadership and they want to strap a rocket to him, he's the guy that I think they could potentially do it with. Mm. But I feel like he's the most likely to go babyface and go into a um, go into another faction. I don't know what. I don't know which faction would would work for ELP. Um, but maybe maybe it's been Team Filthy would suit him to the ground. I'd imagine, but like him coming in and being this sort of ridiculous baby face, I think was, would be the direction. So one by one, they fall. And I think that would be the, that would be the story I'd go until it's maybe it's just, it's just Jay and a couple of his close, his closest allies that he's had. Well, it could and be then, Jay and, you know, he's more recent young additions, Bay and Austin. Yeah. The guys that he's personally recruited juice. Yeah, that would make that would kind of make sense, right? The guys that he has that he none of the legacy guys remain. They all slowly leave him, but he has a faction of the and then and then uh, the good brothers they can go back to him. Well, the good brothers, I think the good brothers. It's one of those things. I'm not exactly sure where where they fit in the whole thing, but they're kind of playing as these like comedy guys that are kind of like the Jay kind of almost is like fuck, man. <laughs> like you know like i don't i don't really endorse that kind of behavior you know like it's not the not the way i want to go about it mm. but i need them i mean they may well go play with kenny when yeah when that eventually happens yeah yeah there's something yeah it's it's such a fascinating thing so if i'm saying who's next to leave bullet club i feel like a house of torture exodus is incoming yeah, that's my feeling. Um, so I'd I'd say yeah, I'd say Kenta and Ishimori to House of Torture. I could see happening as the first kind of signs of it because it wouldn't seem as bad because it would be like House of Torture yeah. separating out, but it would be indicated. And I think that, that would happening. help. I mean, that would help House of Torture with their identity. Yeah, too. they get a they get a then you could have a really strong junior tag team and show and Ishimori. Uh, you could even do Canter and Evil as a tag for a while. Uh, you get your general Evil can then 
I mean, that can help elevate evil because he's got a good guy by his side. Mm. Yeah. A legit guy, like a legit threat to legitimize House of Torture because they, they feel like illegitimate at this point. I think that's because they, in a lot of respects, seem they seem like a more like a condo of torture. Like they don't have the full house, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like they've yeah. like they've got their pin eater in Yujiro, and yeah. they they don't have the credible like in a G one where they have to put Yujiro in. It'd be much better if they could have Kenta in the Yujiro role, you know. Yeah, and Yujiro doesn't have to be in it. And then they have Sho and Ishimori as their juniors that they can have as their junior tag and their junior team, and then they can have. Kenta at the US title level and Evil can go to the world title level when it's when in time is ready. And they've got their they got their levels better established. Right now, it's like they're at the never six man level because that's the only level they can reach with the dynamic they have built because they've yeah. got an anchor. And where you put Kenta in, people immediately go, Yeah, okay, we can believe Kenta and Evil as a tag team, heavyweight tag team has more legs. So I think that 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 could be a direction that they end up going. And I feel like that would be an interesting dynamic of separating out, creating a heel group that's that's got its own distinct identity. So yeah, I that'd be my my thinking. It's interesting. It sort of ties in a bit this whole Bullet Club direction to a question we have from a, a new question. I think it's a new questioner, but a, 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 someone that follows us on Twitter and is always interesting and liking our stuff. Uh, Groza at grz seven six two. This is a very long question. It's a two parter. It's more a it's a statement, but it's also a question in there. And it's about in regards to uh, the Royal Quest show, something interesting about that we've just realized in been announced last week. This Royal Quest show that's coming up, uh, the two-night the two night show in the UK that's coming up this weekend, uh, is not going to be broadcast live on World in any, in any context, nor will it be broadcast live on Fight. It's going to be airing as a video on demand, I think a day or two after the broadcast which is very curious and no one's actually sure why mm. um but that's the context in which this question emerges and the question is there's been a lot of rumbling about njpw and dropping the ball with western audiences after the recent announcements with shows being stuck on demand and quite a few people unhappy about lack of english commentary at risk of sounding like an apologist is it maybe a good thing if japan focuses on its home audience I don't want to get mired in the tribalism and dick measuring contests. It appealed to me specifically because it wasn't for me. I don't want to sell its. I don't want it to sell its soul. Uh, yeah, this is a really nuanced and interesting area to discuss. Um, I love the idea of don't get mired in the tribalism and dick measuring contest. That's where we, neither do we, for various reasons. Um, but that idea of it appealed to me specifically because it wasn't for me is an interesting framing. I think to some extent it is for you because it obviously appeals, but the idea it's not pandering to you. It's not something that is um, new Japan has never been something that has been entirely open. That's kind of part of the allure is like, we're on our own little, the people that have got this. Um, so what do we think? And I'm just thinking about the bullet club in a lot of respects, because the, this discussion about the bullet club, the bullet club have been the most open accessible gateway into new Japan, you know, like the elite and all that stuff was through the bullet club. And I'm all here for like the bullet club slowly dying and people and people accepting that as a, a logical progression of the story. And I don't want to see it trying to hang on to it for the 
goal of like trying to hold on to the vestige of like the Western audience. Like if mm. we lose Bullet Club, we'll lose the West. Like I think that New Japan, as we said before, they have to steer the you know, stay the course and trust in that. Um Yeah, but you're I mean you also you run you run the risk of not establishing existing or new factions to a point where they can uh, fill the space mm-hmm. that would be left by Bullet Club, like what happened with NWO. Yep. Like once the NWO was inflated to a point and then it was all stripped down to nothing, there was like there was not there was nothing left and they tried NWO silver. Different yeah, different things that didn't work because they didn't they didn't build they didn't plan for the eventual day that that would not be there. And yeah. I, I think to some extent, I, it's an interesting area where it's like New New Japan has had a clear and consistent and considered approach to expand to the West. We, we're aware of this and we see when they do their, uh, you know, their presentations to the board and their presentation to shareholders, all that sort of stuff for Bushi Road. They talk about the value of expansion as a goal in terms of making them profitable and ensuring that they have the record profits for the wrestling division because they are they've got something that other promotions don't have in that in that country is they have international reach. You know, talking about their relationships, AW, Forbidden Door, their New Japan strong pay-per-view numbers, all that sort of stuff that the live gates have been able to get in DC and Chicago. So they're very they're very conscious and that's a considered area they're going. And I have the same concerns. I, I must admit, like when I watch a new Japan of America product, firstly, when it was starting up during the pandemic and stuff, there was a lot of like, this isn't, this isn't the new Japan. I, I had watched primarily it was good in ring wrestling. It was more the production. Like you sort of forget how, how good New Japan production is. It's sort of seamless. You don't sort of think about like the camera work, for instance. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's that's the, always the glowing element for me. It's like industry leading, right? Like yeah. it's so good. at Regardless of whether it's in what feels like a badminton hall sometimes <laughs> yeah, the- uh, with, you know, lights on, there's, you know, <laughs> it doesn't feel like there's any production <laughs> other than the camera work. Um, yeah, and they make they make the shows work through sometimes that alone, and that's the thing. Whereas then they go to the US and they they might be in a, a sort of a similar arena, but the production doesn't carry it, so it looks cheap. It looks indie, yeah, right. And it's like, and I sort of think, ah, oh, man, New Japan. This is like New Japan Strong has to be viewed as like their NXT thing, where it's not it's not the proper thing. And you know, I know a lot of New Japan wrestlers on Twitter often, you know, when people are, that work strong talk about being a New Japan wrestler and they're being very protective of that statement, being like, hang on now. Like being a New Japan wrestler is wrestling on the Cerulean blue over in Japan. Like that's that's the thing that's coveted because it's like that is the truest expression of it. So I understand that. And I and I too do not want to covet the American audience in particular, the or, you know, the, the British audience or the Western audience in general at the expense of what makes New Japan itself. And I, I think there are some signs in the way that they've been going that are, that are really promising because they're doing it the right way. I feel if they can, if they stay the course with the elevation of that, that young lion class of Juice J and Finley mm. and with Osprey being the similarly aged guy that came in uh, the unconventional way, because it allows them to have a what is ostensibly 
a Western uh, appearing group of pro wrestlers that either came through their dojo system or are, you know, or incredibly loyal to the. Yeah, I mean, you could, yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, Will Ospreay is the Western version of Ibushi, really. Yeah. Kind yeah. of like, yeah, the the sort of yeah. the the outsider guy that that's dream has been to be the man in in New yeah. Japan Pro Wrestling. So yeah, and his talent has taken yeah. him to yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and so that in itself, to me, is the way that they can still focus on their home audience because yeah. they're they're still like, if you're a fan of New Japan, like the guy, the people, they love Finley because they remember Finley in the black trunks. Mm. And you go and you commit and you bet, like you do the New Japan thing, you commit to it, mm. you're going to get loyalty from that audience. So to them, that's an ability to do both things. And I think they're, what they're doing now is the reverse of that too with the Uemura's, Narita's, Shota's, by sending them and making them up front in the US to be like, Uemura is everywhere and it's fucking great. He's got the best yeah. pants ever made with the Yuya and about 18 exclamation points on the front of him. Yeah. He's just the best. And the LA Dojo, they're trying to create their system with people that people will recognize and relate to. That's the way to do it. Long play, not um, not pandering to the US audience or the American audience by having to run more shows or big shows there but rather showcase their next generation to lead people back to the the main product. Maybe their um maybe their production team needs a dojo in the US as well. Yeah, I, I would not be against that. I think that's the key. Yeah, we need the new Japan world offices. Yeah, the dojo for the young lions. We need a young line producer, the young line director. Yeah, so we get all the same. Yeah, like how they produce a show in Japan is the same in those places. And we get one in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're doing it with referees. Referees are going back and forth in the in the systems and the dojos. Like, yeah, they're they're trying to grow it out. Like, and it's and it needs to be done to try. If you if you're going to be New Japan, you're going to be doing this approach to sort of planting. You know. Yeah, have have a uniform presentation. Because ultimately, I I feel like the goal of those things is not so much to provide an alternative product. It's I think it's talent production. Like I think New Japan, no, I, think right. I think that's what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to build a, a viable model that can earn some money, but ultimately can find them the the next generation of talent that they've been seeking and the youth that they they want. And they're trusting Give them shots. Let them learn in those spaces that are away from their domestic audience, and let them grow, build connections with the Western audience who might, who may otherwise come across. Well, yeah, it still gives them it gives them an element of control over the guys that are sent on excursion if they're going to those places that yep. are under the same umbrella as well. Like you don't end up with an Okada in TNA situation. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, I mean, potentially some fuckery if you send a guy off to Mexico or wherever. Yeah, exactly. You've got you've got a bit of control over their booking. You can at least um like like with Ren Narita is like I know that he he's been sort of booked a little bit stronger on strong as he's now been announced that he's gonna be returning at declaration of power against an unnamed opponent, but it's gonna be his return. So Narita mm-hmm. is gonna come back officially on the main roster, it's it's happening. So it's like he's the first guy of that 
of that the wonder batch you know the batch of yeah to make his return you know and so what is he going to be what is he going to be wearing what is he going to like all that stuff we get to have it's like here he comes you know it's the, it's the return um so that's really exciting and for ren ren has had some showcases but not to the extent of what they have really solidified with uh yuya in particular like they've understood like yuya is wrestling he's like wrestling deadlock pro he wrestles he's wrestling every indie he's wrestling impact he's wrestling like Mm. he's got stories on strong they are putting him everywhere and the reason is simple it's like look at him and and put him in like he's doing meet and greets with his mullet and people are just like oh my god this is like young tana like everyone's like oh my god i get to see this guy how great is this but that's how you build connection and it's Mm. not and it's and again we talked about it last week and it's like that's their philosophy. It's about the storytellers. It's about the talent. And I think that the brand is good and it's great to plant the brand as a as a way to lift people up. And we're seeing it in Australia. Like how awesome is it? They're building this brand. And I understand people being concerned about you know this NXTification of everything, but I don't feel like New Japan's intent is to create a thing that ultimately you know, bleeds the system dry and like they're not going to create dams or they're not going to drain a well. I think what they see is they just want to be able to identify a certain number of talent and they want to be able to, in a lot of respects, they have a philosophy about the way they believe pro wrestling should be and they want to plant that philosophy in the places. That's, I think that's what New Japan is saying is like, do you align for our philosophy? If you do, then work for us. We believe it's the best. Wherever we put it, we believe people will, like we believe the strong style ethos will 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 hold and carry and people will be attracted and how great is it that like we're getting a show here a new japan tamashi show we don't know what it's going to be but in in ways to promote it and prepare for it they're sending shingo takagi to pwa Mm. like for like can you imagine what that's going to do for people like here comes like legitimately and i think most people would not have an argument like a top five wrestler on the planet yeah is coming to sydney to do a show to promote the show that's a month away but also to build that relationship and to show the commitment that to me that's a commitment that's saying we're committed we're committed to this place yeah we're committed to this thing and and the thing is also is like send shingo there pwa i guess puts one of your best guys in against shingo and maybe shingo comes back and says this kid yeah or something you know yeah and he's a he's a bad dude bad dude tito or that kind of thing exactly exactly he's he's a new big teats there's only one big teats but there's like the idea of that is exactly what it is and i i view that in that respect like we get to see tom lawler get to where he is because of strong and allowing him the platform to craft the character so that when he gets to new japan proper ready He's ready and and it's seamless. And 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 I honestly say I don't want to see him go back. I'm like, don't go back. Stay in the big time, right? And mm. it's not a diminishment of what strong is. Strong is awesome at what it is, but it's never going to be what New Japan is. And it's yeah. not going to compete against AEW. And it shouldn't be seen to be trying to compete against those guys. It's not trying to be an independent. It's not trying to be AEW. It's trying to be like a like an NXT model. But with uh, simple stories, recruiting, you know, wrestlers in and out, people coming into work against really top level guys, 
and working with AEW to get you know some really good guys like Eddie Kingston's and that onto the shows to sort of either pop a house, but also work with some of these younger talents so they can get a better look at. You know, like mm. it's hard to get a gauge of who's good if they're just wrestling yeah. a bunch yeah, of kids against each other. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I view it. And I look at the, you, as we said, like it, Bad Dude Tedo is the perfect example, right? Like he he's come from absolutely nowhere and everyone loves him. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, was he an overnight 15-year veteran? Yeah, yeah, right. Like it took him 15 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. But and and it sort of ties in, I guess, and you know, it ties into a question we had from uh, Jacqueline at Cheeky Jack, who's asking in special and specifically in relation to Royal Quest, this sort of ties them both in about whose teats will be stronger in England, uh, Tito or Okada. And that's because fucking bad dude Tito is wrestling Kazuchika Okada on that show in a singles match. Yeah, awesome. Great. Like, how great. Like in, in obviously building the story for Okada and Jonah to meet a declaration of power this week, they yeah. will be wrestling in a tag, firstly a tag team match, which will be Okada and Ishii versus Bad Dude Tito and Jonah. And then the next night, Jonah versus Ishii, Okada versus Bad Dude Tito. Like just get in, like just get in on that. And then look at, I mean, you know, Okada might have, you know, the, you know, the glorious there, but no, I mean, seriously. There is only one big teats, right? You don't, I cannot choose, but I have to choose. It's, I mean, we we know how I feel about big teats. Um, so how great, and that's to me the proof in, is in the pudding. Where it's like he has, and think about it. Bad Teats has only been had the one tour of Japan, really. This new tour as well. He's sort of got a couple of tours, but he's been put in spots, and he's always stood up, and and he's always done well in those spots. Um, and he. He was a strong product. So, mm. yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he's a guy that just is like a no-brainer fit for New Japan, really. Yeah, but if you look at what they're doing in that in that Royal Quest show, they're putting a lot of Rev Pro people on there as well. And to me, Rev Pro is just like New Japan strong of the UK. Like that's yeah. how they kind of it's. They don't have as much control over it, but it's clear there's a really strong relationship. So guys like Michael Oku is on there, and like, um. Yeah, you know, Ricky Knight, like those young guys that that a lot of people in the UK keep telling us are like next next yeah. they're, they're really great. This is their opportunity to be on that platform. Like I know that um Oku and I think wrestling Despi and um yeah, Oku and Despi and Doki, I think are a tag team. Cool. Yeah, like it's some Despi's become the drinky and Doki's the new Despi. Like it's a, <laughs> the, the brothers are growing up. It's like Despi's now now the older yeah, brother. Just, just wait for um uh Tai Chi Taka uh, Taka Tai Chi Despi Doki mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming. Like if I'm if I'm New Japan and I think this Michael Oku kid might have something, I'm chucking him in there for Desperado. Mm. You know, and I saw that we saw that in in New Japan Strong. It's like. Blake Christian, all right, wrestle Hiromu, wrestle Despi. Like, we want to see who these yeah. guys, in the same way that an Osprey who didn't come through the dojo system but came through RevPro wrestled Okada. Mm. It's, I think it's like they're taking that idea to, to go with their dojo system. So the idea being that the dojo is the 5, 10-year project. We get them as... We, we craft them and those are the the Jays and the Finleys and the things. And it would take some of these guys a bit of a time, but we have to also be mindful that there is talent out there on independence and we can't 
some of them are not going to be willing to do the Gabriel Kidd route and say, all right, I'm going to sacrifice the five-year career I've had already to go the long way. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do think that guys like that and Kevin Knight in particular, those guys will get incredible loyalty. And DK said that the, the company will be so loyal because I think they'll realize, well, you 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 stripped everything back to, to learn our way from ground up. So we have... Yeah, the same way Juice did. Yes, yeah. yeah, and and Juice and Juice will never have to worry about having a job in New Japan if he if he he's got one as long as he wants one because that's how they are if they if they don't as long as they don't go against the the yeah, as long as they don't cheat on their wives <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean that's it or or do or go on a Twitter tirade yeah They're the two things that have been proven thus far to get you and really they'll bring you back at some point yeah you know, yeah so. that'll be like yeah, yeah always just... Just go out there for a little bit. A bit of a break. We need someone else to fuck up and then we can bring you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we just <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's the thing where ultimately um I think that um that that part is one thing, but it the trouble is, and they've noted it, is they don't have the pathways because those pathways take time and people are expecting guys to be able to come in and, and fill roles now. So how do you get those guys that are ready to go right now, but they have to be able to fit your system? And when they had Ring of Honor and that was running strong, they would just take they would take the top guy, they take your Kyle O'Reilly's and that, and be like, okay, you guys just fit. And I'm very yeah. fortunate in that guy, like your hangmans and your stuff. Like we'll just grab them. Like people forget, like yeah, hangman yeah. is like a Ring of Honor guy that they just said you're bullet club now. <laughs> it was like, um, and they don't have that pathway as clear anymore. So they need to be able to get those guys replaced. And it's been a bit of a, a downtime while they've had to build it themselves. But now I feel I mean, like... it's probably one of the advantageous things about the pandemic is it's enabled them to establish it and it not necessarily matter if it was successful from a ticketing standpoint or anything yep. like that, you know? Yep, exactly. And now it's now like it's selling out you know, instantly in New York, you know, like that's a good, and granted it's only 1200 tickets, but that's at a high price. They can be profitable mm. and they can have a decent size show. Yeah. And I mean, those, those sorts of intimate shows with the talent that they have, they'll be fucking cracker shows. So word of mouth will get out. And Don't you feel like that's that, and I'm of the personal belief that that type of environment grows stronger bonds yeah like when you're in the small yeah. when you're in the small arena you, you can hear the sound you can hear the talk you can hear the dude uh, i mean can... we went on a independent run there for a while watching some of the crazy shit because of how tight like you know a lot of the guys got cancelled <laughs> afterwards but how connected the audience was with what was going on on those shows but that's why we have an all elite wrestling because, yeah, because some, so many of those yeah. guys were so connected with the audience that they would follow them to the edge of the earth and they have and that that relationship that you can build through those intimate settings is is all they really need to do in the west because they don't have to they don't have to sell 15,000 tickets that's not that's not their business model in the western market their their business model has to be showcase our best to the people that are willing to invest Mm. and those people are the ones yeah, that are going to pay for even, a subscription even the black and gold brand you know that's yep. how they managed to get their diehard fan base and that, that diehard fan base is is will is ride or die and they yeah. 
and they want those got people to succeed and ultimately you know good lessons there um you that pathway better be clear and it better be consistent yeah and i mean i mean clearly it's going to be the difference between i mean who knows in the triple h era but that's going to be a difference between you know say in the inverted commas you know fingered commas or whatever uh you know, New Japan's NXT version, uh, the pathway, at least, it's not going to be like uh, you wrestle one way on the small show and then when we get up here, we're going to mm. throw you in a fucking dominatrix costume and, you know, no. expect it to be something that you've not been for the previous three yeah. years. We I'm only like, do uh, that. We only do that for young boys. <laughs> <laughs> we only in the bathhouse. Yes, but like Master Waito, a single tear drops down his thing as he hears that description. But that's the difference, isn't it? Like the strong model, and we'll see it. Like how will Narita return? We've all seen Narita in Strong with his Shibata cosplay. Yeah. We'll that continue well i mean we've all seen we've all seen the 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 seamless transition from a guy like connor's yeah yep yeah we exactly he was that character on strong he's that character in new japan proper so and and now that that guy can get over in a small room in a in a room in new japan or over in AEW where no one knows fuck he is you know Mm. yeah and and but there is a there is a learning curve and that was the interesting part of watching Connors throughout the Super Super Juniors was just seeing him realize okay I have to like this rhino gimmick thing like sexy Skinner is like is not going exactly how it goes in the states I have to do a little bit different I'm going to have to play a little different and that's yeah that's the thing like yes we can prepare you for New Japan but we can only prepare you to so to such extent um as I said, a guy like Filthy was interesting because he didn't change his character, but he played more in the face space rather than the bully. He just sort of, he, he toned it down. And I think he was toning it down for, obviously for there's a clear direction, I think, with Team Filthy. I also think too that like experiences, you know, not, not playing a character, but experience in front of big audiences, uh, you know, that plays in his favor yeah, know, it does in the ufc and well, i don't think he's overawed by the challenge of getting no, fans not, to I don't think so, not at all like you know in this way he doesn't have to worry about actually getting like knocked out or anything. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so he's um so he's not uh, he's not scared to what i'm saying he's not scared to be embarrassed or evidently not, not. <laughs> yeah nothing is going to embarrass him i mean the man wears how many different pairs of fucking daisy dukes layers of dukes um yeah but I, and I think that's yeah. I think so much of that di- direction is is what we're sort of been talking about a lot in this respect. Is that the really juicy, meaty stories of New Japan always come back to the the lore of the young boys transition movement through, right? Mm. But the ability to bring eyeballs across is always going to be in the capacity of the relationships and the either, either that's relationships between companies in terms of new japan and aw or new japan and impact or whatever but the relationship between in my opinion between individual wrestlers and fan bases so there's there's a there's this strategy between like i always said like i, I thought it's such an interesting thing and i was like before the g1 they sent finley to aw to wrestle hangman and it was mm. just it was such an it was just out of nowhere. <laughs> like 
he he was he lost. So it wasn't exactly like get him on TV to get a win to get to give him a push into the G one. But it was a it to me was like get eyeballs on this guy because this guy we we we've we've we think he's got you know we, he's going to be a person of interest. Same as like we send Despy over. Like why do we yeah. just send Despy? Like see Despy, look at Despy. Um, I think there's something to the strategy that they're seeing with their young boys on excursion now of just get them seen. Yeah, I mean, do, I mean, fuck, they're doing the same with Juice, aren't they? Yeah, see same him, Juice. See, see this, and not only that, see this version of Juice. Not only that, someone tweeted Tony Khan saying, um, "Please let Juice cut a promo." Mm. That was what they tweeted, and he took and Tony Khan had a photo that he tweeted out immediately saying, "Yeah, I saw of course, that. Yeah, of, course of course, we're going to let yeah. him talk." It's like, and he's like, "Juice, like stand in the back, like a lone man, yelling into the distance." But it's like, and you'll get a video package and a vignette and everything explaining who this guy is as he comes to TV. And it's like, yeah, the key for Juice, if you want to convey who Juice is and what he's going to just put it, put a camera on him and say, go. Yeah. Um, and to me, but that's showing a commitment and it's a commitment not only to educate the audience so that they know who this person is. And I mean, I, I hate this argument that fans say like, who's this guy? It's like everyone's watching with a phone in their hand. Oh, Juice Robinson, Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. seriously. But um, but it, nonetheless, the commitment that they're showing then also says that they New Japan could be like, well, you know, let's get this guy some exposure as this new character, this new in, incarnation of himself. Yeah, because this, and, may, it, it, and it does, by them doing that too, it makes me think that the the juice thing that was happening around the time of the G1 is about to ramp up again, mm. lead up to Wrestle Kingdom, whatever is coming for Wrestle Kingdom. Yep. Uh, this is going to be the beginning. It'll be really interesting to see. I'll be watching yep. Dynamite for it to see what the go is with Juice because why else put him on AEW TV unless you want some eyes to come over to New Japan to see what he's about to do next. Yeah. And that's that's my thinking is is like is there something and that's what I'm saying. It's like it's strategic. Like mm. they they put Osprey in there week after week after week. Yeah. And it's like and now look at the elevation of Osprey and Osprey I mean every, and look it changed the discourse around Will Ospreay. It changed it. Like mm. Osprey was always seen as one type of thing and he has come to AEW television and performed. And I mean, we all know the craziness of whatever's happening at AEW and the fact that somehow Osprey is, is at the center of it somehow um, that he doesn't even, I don't even work here. <laughs> like, um, but what I always feel like it demonstrated was like Osprey is a standard and he's coming in and and I remember the biggest thing I took away from Forbidden Door was this the documentary that New Japan produced, and it sort of went by the wayside a little bit, and people didn't really didn't really capture the imagination because it was on it was on New Japan World, so it was sort of preaching to the to the converted. Yeah, but with William Regal, and when Regal was there talking about it, and he was saying about New Japan's system, and talking about it from the position of him as a scout, you know, like. I'm a scout, like the idea of that is his kayfabe character, but it's also, we all know that that yeah, was his yeah. legit role yeah. um, in his previous employment. And he's like, I'm a scout and I look for talent and the way um, people work and that. He's like, he's like uh, he said, I really appreciate 
that we have this forbidden door pay-per-view coming up. I really appreciate what it's going to do for our roster. He's like, because they're going to get into the ring with people who do not play. They're going to get into the ring with, with the best. And he's like, you have to be, and he's like, if you do not bring it, if you do not elevate, you will be embarrassed. Yeah. You'll be left behind. And it was like, it was like a tacit thing of saying, we have been in this company and we have been doing great things. And we have always been viewed in comparison to the other American company. And we've always been seen as being the place of the pro wrestler and we're the greatest pro wrestling on the planet. That's how we've positioned ourselves. But when we open the forbidden door, the reality check comes in yeah. and, and the frustration you hear in whatever, for whatever reason, whatever the backstage, whatever the story, even if he's joking, the Kenny Omega stuff about 80% of you, I wouldn't hide. Mm. Um, to me speaks to the frustration of Kenny's uh, like where he believes the level needs to be and what he like, what elite is. And, and that idea is, is something that I think is very much a new Japan philosophy, very much a, you say that in the new Japan locker room, I think that's seen as a distinct challenge to everyone to be like, well, fuck you. I'm Mm. like, the challenge of beat beat that, do better than that. Like I think that was a big part of what drove the competitiveness in that space. We all know that Tana Tanashi talks like that. Yeah. Like these guys talk like that. Like um be the best. I'm the best. I'll be the best. We we're the strongest and the best. That's our like when when they open the forbidden door, the President Obari said strong style is waiting on the other side. Like beware. Like they viewed it not as a challenge or anything, but just as a, a chance to affirm what they were. And so when Osprey came as a direction, it was kind of funny because it's like he's not exactly the, the best representative of New Japan and New Japan style, but he is an example of what New Japan offers and the diversity they offer. And Juice is another example of like, mm. these are the Western relatable characters that tell the nice broad stories. And they will, we believe they'll connect, but at their core, at their core, they can work and they will work and they will challenge you to work to their level. And a guy like Juice Robinson, who's always like, he took the challenge. Like he's the best example of it. He's the guy that, that was trained a certain way and said, fuck all of it. I'm going to learn from the from the ground up to a new style. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I went to learn Kung Fu when I come out learning fucking tiddlywinks. And then when I was faced with real Kung Fu, I realized I ain't got shit. I don't know kung fu. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know kung fu. Yeah, Yeah. and and but I'm I want to learn, and as a consequence, he becomes a complete package because he's got he takes obviously he takes the best learnings from the Dusty Road School of Promos. Yeah, and he brings in the strong style work snug as a bug kind of uh, approach to pro wrestling there, and he just that's that's the. That's the beauty of it. And I just think that's not pandering to a Western audience. That's presenting a character who represents, who looks like a pro wrestler that fits on an AEW television, but doesn't act like one. Mm. And that's the thing. Like when Osprey's there going, come on, bruv, bruv, bruv. And I just think bruv, he said it so much because he just didn't want to say cunt. <laughs> that's my, that's, I just think he was like consciously about saying bruv, bruv, bruv. Because when he was on, when we saw this weekend, when it was like, can't, can't, can't. And it was yeah, like, yeah. 
Um, yeah. So that's the PC bruv. That's that's AW cunt is bruv. I so want an, a Will Ospreay Sharks are sick T-shirt. And probably coming to a store, coming to you know, into Tokon Shop Global soon. <laughs> but it that's that to me is the is the idea is that and I'm with what Groza was saying. It's like I came to New Japan too because it was an alternative. Yeah. Um, and I don't want the alternative to start to to mimic the the establishment. But I, what I want is subversion, and I feel like it's snuck, it even snuck up on me. It snuck up on me. Like this Osprey Finley match was like I realized when when I was watching the pre vignette, which again I'm really happy to see is returned. You know the the big match build up video packages that had targeted yeah. for that match. The refs again weren't the refs weren't wearing uh, face masks this weekend. It feels like things are feels like things are moving in a positive direction in terms of the overall product. Mm. But when they were doing that and the and the press conference and stuff, and they were and Finley was saying Osprey's the same age as me, and it sort of hit me. It's like, yeah, these are all like twenty nine year old guys. They're all in their late twenties, and they're all come through like six years, seven like they've been six seven years in this thing. And they've all just sort of starting to hit their stride now. They all look and sound like American Western pro wrestlers, but they're not. Yeah. And to me, that's how you do it. That's how you that's how you be the alternative. You you look like the competition, but you don't act like them. By doing that, you're able to kind of very much steal a lot of the eyes. And then people come across and go, I'll give this guy a look. And then they realize, oh, this is so different. This is this is different. It looks the same, but it's not the same. Mm. And that's kind of like what Kenny was. But I think that they're going to be more effective than that because I've always maintained that I still feel like that Kenny was a was like a universal style wrestler. Like he was a guy that took so many influences from so many different things that granted, I think the the the, the platform that New Japan provided him allowed him to sort of explore all sides of his self. Mm. Like, I don't think he was exactly the, the greatest representative of, of what New Japan style was. I think the benefit was, was he's in the ring with that guy. And so when people were watching him, they were seeing Okada and going, holy shit, you know, like, yeah. this is or, this is Or New they Japan. were wondering why Jericho wanted to wrestle him. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, why is, what is this about this other place? Like this new Japan and why, because the fact is, is new Japan is growth. is going to come from Western uh, in, engagement. Now, granted, I do agree. And I, I, I maintain it that off the back of the pandemic, they need to be solidifying the domestic product. That needs to be sure. the first focus, get people back into the, to the thing. But the fact is they sold every ticket they could this weekend for David Finley versus Will Ospreay on top. Yeah. And that's whether they sold over 3,000 tickets, as many as they could to the Yokohama arena to, to, to watch that main event. So if that's not at least a suggestion that this philosophy, this direction has legs, that that they don't, that the domestic audience doesn't see them as outsiders. They don't see them as foreigners. They don't see them as Westerners. They see them as young boys. Yeah. Then if they see them like that, but the Western audience see him as like CJ White as our our Jay, even though he's from New Zealand, you know, like this, but he's our Jay. He's like the Western, he's like a Western pro wrestler. But New Japan audience see him as their baby Jay. 
that's the best of both worlds. They yeah. have the best of both worlds. And to me, that's the way you go about it. And you fill in guys like Big Bad Dude Tito and you, you buy guys, you, you, you recruit guys like Jonah. You recruit the right people to, to pop, to bring eyeballs across. But you always maintain that the guys that are ultimately going to get the biggest pushes are going to be the ones that you've you've crafted, developed, and, and had control over the entire way because you can trust them to be able to do what is required of them. Mm. Um, so I'm, I don't want New Japan to sell its soul, and I just think I don't think they have sold their soul in a lot of respects. I think um, that they're committed to building relationships with the West in a way to educate them 